It's Sophia Franklin, and if you don't already know, listen up. My mini-series is live now each and every Monday, and the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Before she passed away, I went to this house by Lafayette, and that's where Melissa would hang around. Some of the girls didn't like me for some reason that I was always nice, dressed up, like, with money, you know? So I go into the dope house, in the trap house, and uh, Melissa's there. And Melissa was always very kind. She's like, hey, Karen, what are you doing, girl? And, like, stuff like that, right? So these other girls come, and they start jumping me. It was like five girls. And nobody did anything, not even the owner of the house. Like, he just let other girls jump me, right? The only one that jumped in was Melissa. And Melissa was like, hey, 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 just leave her alone. What are y'all doing? This and that. She stopped the people, like, that were jumping me. Okay, so that happened. Two, three days later, they found her dead. This is a woman I'll refer to as Karen. She met Melissa Ramirez in early 2018 when the two were living on San Bernardo Avenue. Karen was addicted to heroin at the time, and she had turned to sex work to afford her drug habit, which often exceeded $200 a day. Karen wasn't close to many other sex workers, but she said everyone liked Melissa. If she would see you, like, sitting down and all sick, she would, hey, come on, come on, let's go make money. Or, I know where to get money. Right now, I'll get you fixed. She was that kind of person. And a lot of people liked her because she wasn't getting into your business and, you know, messing up your day. No, she wasn't like that. She would brighten your day. Of all the women on San Bernardo, Karen thought, Melissa was the least likely to have made enemies. She couldn't imagine anyone wanting her dead. But that was little comfort to her and others on the street who suspected the killer might be targeting sex workers. We were thinking, like, hey, what if this other dude that picked her up He's driving around right here, right? And he killed her and he's wanting to kill another girl. This is Gone South. I'm Jed Lipinski. Episode 2, San Bernardo.
On September 3rd, 2018, ranchers had discovered a lifeless body lying face down on a remote dirt road outside Laredo, Texas. The initial suspect, a Laredo police officer, had an alibi. And a day into the investigation, the victim's identity was still unknown. Investigators were at an impasse. But then, lead investigator Fred Calderon got a call from a deputy at the county jail. He'd seen a photo of the victim, and he recognized her as a former inmate, 29-year-old Melissa Ramirez. So after we got a positive ID on Melissa, we went to go visit her next of kin, which ended up being her mom. She lived in Rio Rabo, and a ranger and myself went out there to talk to her. Rio Bravo is a small community 13 miles outside Laredo. When Captain Calderon pulled up to the address, he found a mobile home with kids' toys lying on the front lawn. Melissa's mother, Cristina Benavidez, was devastated by the news of her daughter's death, but she wasn't entirely surprised. Benavidez had been raising two of Melissa's young children, a seven-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son, since birth. Although Melissa visited often, she was unable to care for them. Family members would later tell the press that Melissa was a happy and energetic girl who, despite struggling with poverty, often treated her friends to ice cream. But her life had taken a dark turn. In her early teens, she fell into depression and prescription drug abuse. School officials told her mom that Melissa was cutting her arms and face with her fingernails. Her sister-in-law said Melissa later told her that she'd been raped at age 13. Melissa dropped out of high school her junior year. By 19, she was living on San Bernardo Avenue, specifically a four-block section north of downtown known as the Prostitute Blocks. Her mother told Calderon that Melissa's life on the streets was a source of endless anxiety for her. Melissa occasionally returned home with bruises or a split lip from disputes with customers or drug dealers. Two weeks before her death, Melissa told her mother that she expected to be shot in the head within a month's time, but she'd offered no other details. Benavidez had last seen her daughter the Friday before her body was discovered. She said Melissa was staying with a childhood friend at the Pan American Courts Hotel on San Bernardo. With that, Calderon thanked Benavidez and headed back to Laredo. His next stop, San Bernardo Avenue. This is just how you'll find it. Friendly South Texas and Mexico. The newest and most popular vacation area of the Americas. This is wonderful vacation land de amigos. In the early 20th century, San Bernardo Avenue was a bustling tourist district lined with upscale Spanish revival hotels and restaurants like the Las Palmas Court and the Cactus Cafe. The avenue served as the primary gateway into and out of the Mexican town of Nuevo Laredo. But in the late 1950s, the federal government approved plans to construct Interstate 35. The six-lane highway was built one block east of San Bernardo, depriving it of through traffic and pushing tourists to other parts of the city. By the 1970s, the family-friendly businesses in the midtown blocks of the avenue had been mostly replaced by fast food chains, gas stations, and pay-by-the-hour motels. The area saw an increase in crime, but prostitution remained mostly confined to the other side of the border, in Nuevo Laredo's red light district, known as Boys Town. But in the mid-2000s, cartels seized control of Nuevo Laredo, and Americans for the most part stopped crossing the border. Nuevo Laredo's tourist attractions, including Boys Town, soon shut down. 
According to one Laredo historian, the closure of Boys Town boosted the market for sex work on San Bernardo, with its easy access to the interstate and abundance of cheap motels. Police say they conducted a sting operation along the San Bernardo area. The operation was conducted after police say they received numerous complaints of prostitution on that street. The Pan American Courts Motel, where Melissa Ramirez had been staying, is a historic landmark, a relic of San Bernardo's heyday. The low-slung cinderblock building now sits between an auto parts store and a Mexican import shop called the Blue Goat. Calderon, dressed in plain clothes but with his gun and badge exposed, was not a welcome presence. They see us pulling up, they go inside. There weren't people lining up to talk to us. But Calderon eventually connected with Melissa's childhood friend, Emily Varela. She told Calderon that Melissa had stayed with her at the motel the night before she disappeared and had left her cell phone and belongings behind. Varela had no idea who might have picked Melissa up that night, nor did she know of any plots to kill her. But she did offer some insight into Melissa's life. Melissa's friend told us that uh, Melissa preferred women, but that she would have uh, men as customers to make money. Varela also told Calderon that Melissa had developed a reputation as a police informant, because people on the prostitute blocks often saw her driving with undercover cops, a rumor later repeated by others. More than one person that we talked to in the Sutman Nautilus area said that different people who worked out there, Melissa being one of them, would uh, talk frequently to cops, and uh, a lot of people didn't trust her for that reason. Calderon knew many narcotics and vice officers for the Laredo PD, and he wasn't aware of any active informants in the San Bernardo area. Still, the rumor that cops were among Melissa's clients revived his suspicion that the killer was law enforcement. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hi this is amy poehler here to tell you about a new improvised show from paper kite podcasts the team that brought you say more with dr sheila check out our new parody podcast women talking about murder it's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. 
Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Before local news outlets learned the victim's identity, journalist Ligordi Loca published Melissa's name on her popular Facebook page. The sheriff department were called to Highway 255, 83 North, where they found Melissa Ramirez, uh, the female who was killed and taken to a ranch site in that area. Melissa's death carried extra weight for Ligordi Loca. She'd spent years covering crime on San Bernardo, and she knew Melissa well. She was very calm, very mellow, very nice person, soft-spoken, down-to-earth. If you would have met her, you it wouldn't even crossed your mind that she would walk the streets of San Bernardo and stuff like that. Over the years, she'd become close to many of the women who worked on the prostitute blocks. Well, the thing is that I was very close to the action, you know? Every time something would happen, I mean, I was the closest to get to you know, whatever was going on. I just knew who they were, what they did, where they worked, you know, what they were doing and whatnot. And if you see, we're very close to the walking spot. So I would take my midnight strolls on my truck, driving up and down San Bernardo. And they would stop me or I would stop them. And, you know, we would have just a regular conversation about whatever, you know. Ligordi Loca had heard the rumors that Melissa was a police informant. But in her mind, the fact that cops picked Melissa up didn't make her a snitch, nor did it make her unique. All these girls who work the streets, they brag about shit like that and they say, you know, I got a cop that picked me up, or I got a border patrol that picked me up, or a sheriff deputy that picked me up. But while Ligordi Loca doubted Melissa was a police informant, she felt confident that her killer was a client. In the wake of Melissa's death, she warned women on San Bernardo to trust no one. But she claims they shrugged off her concerns. I mean, I think they were so used to being in a dangerous situation. Because at the end of the day, they were getting picked up by guys they didn't even know. You know, I think they were so used to it that they didn't think it was going to happen to them. The women may have projected a lack of concern, but in truth, they were terrified. The day Melissa's body was identified, they all began carrying pepper spray. We were panicked. Like 15 to 20 girls, we all had one. My cousin got one for me. Actually, my cousin got two for me. She's like, you better not lose this one. This one's in your pocket and this one's in your purse. And if you need anything, just let me know. This is Karen from the top of the episode. Initially, word on the street was that the killer drove a black truck. But Karen heard a different rumor. Yeah, that the one that had killed Melissa was a white truck, not a black truck. That's the one I heard. No, the one that killed Melissa was a white truck. For Karen, the truck's color didn't matter. After Melissa died, she stopped getting into trucks altogether. I was barely new to the streets. I kind of kept myself like to the circle. Like I was just making sure nobody would pick me up. Refusing rides from men left Karen with no way to support herself. But she was able to do so because in the days after Melissa's death, a mysterious benefactor had appeared on San Bernardo. His name was Encarnacion, but everyone called him Chone. What I knew was that Chon would give money to every girl. He didn't have to do anything with Chon. Chon just liked spending money. He had money, you know. So when he found out about the killing, he started getting every girl a room. Not in the same hotel room, but different hotels. 
Chone was a truck driver and an addict who had befriended a number of sex workers on the Strip. When he learned Melissa had been murdered, Karen said, he started paying for motel rooms for at least half a dozen women so they wouldn't have to sleep on the street. He also paid for their drugs. I think Chone in his mind was trying to help other girls get a room and not be on the streets. Because almost every girl that I know that was on the streets had a hotel room those days. For the time being, at least, Karen felt safe. Back at the Pan American courts, Calderon was wrapping up his interview when he ran into another friend of Melissa's. The friend said she had last seen her with a guy she didn't recognize at the Siesta, another hourly rate motel eight blocks north. In speaking with the Siesta's manager, Calderon learned that a man named Rafael Raz had rented a room the night Melissa vanished. The manager noted that Raz frequently reserved rooms at the motel and kept company with sex workers. For sure he had been there. And they pointed in the direction of the room he was in. As Calderon recalls, the room was in bad shape. It was gross being in there. The carpet was filthy. It had layers of filth like they hadn't vacuumed that ever. There were small roaches everywhere. It looked like something out of a horror movie. As Calderon examined the room, he was interrupted by one of the cleaning ladies. She said she remembered Rafael Raz, partly because that Sunday night, the same night Melissa went missing, Raz had abruptly changed rooms. And apparently midway through his stay, he changed to another room. The cleaning lady then mentioned another detail that caught Calderon's attention. And the cleaning lady told us, oh, we had to throw out some of the sheets because they had a little bit of blood on them. So they tell us the trash dumpster company hasn't come to pick up the bin yet. So it's probably still in the dumpster. So Calderon walked behind the motel to see if he could find the sheets. She was correct. The dumpster had not been picked up yet and they were in there, but it wasn't a little bit of blood. It was a, it was a, a lot of blood. When Calderon opened the dumpster behind the Siesta Motel, he was stunned by the condition of the discarded sheets. They didn't have a little bit of blood on them. They were covered in blood. I think both of us said, you know, holy shit, what is that? It was a big mess in there. It was a large amount of blood. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. After pulling the sheets out of the dumpster, Calderon photographed them and entered them into evidence. A background check revealed that Roz had been arrested multiple times, once for gun theft. 
And when Calderon sent Raz's plate number to the Border Intel Center, an analyst immediately called back. We're made aware that he had crossed into Mexico that evening, that he crossed in, came back. According to the Intel Center, Raz had driven across the gateway to the Americas Bridge into Nuevo Laredo alone at 1.11 a.m. on the morning Melissa's body was found. 29 minutes later, he crossed back into Laredo. This all took place after Raz had suddenly switched rooms at the Siesta Motel and left a set of blood-soaked sheets behind. Calderon's mind raced. Why would Raz leave Laredo in the middle of the night, then return almost immediately? Had he ditched the murder weapon in Nuevo Laredo? Was someone in Mexico complicit? Had a corrupt customs agent waved him through? Whatever the case, Calderon knew he needed to talk to Rafael Raz. Then he got a call from the motel. So we get a call from the motel manager, I think, or the front desk person, that the person we were looking for was there. The Siesta Motel's night manager explained that Rafael Raz had just pulled into the parking lot. Sheriff's deputies quickly detained him and brought him in for questioning. Roz said he was a part-time used car salesman and mechanic who was living temporarily at the siesta with his girlfriend, though he occasionally entertained other women in his room. When Calderon showed him a photograph of Melissa Ramirez, Roz claimed he'd never met her, although he'd heard about the murder on the news. Calderon asked Roz why he'd changed rooms the night Melissa was killed. Roz's reply? Because it was hot and the AC wasn't working. Why had he driven to and from Nuevo Laredo that night? Because he had friends and family there, Roz said, and he visited now and then, sometimes at odd hours. Did he own a 40 caliber pistol? He used to, Roz said, but the cops had seized it after his arrest for gun theft. When it came to the blood-soaked sheets, Roz hesitated, but he eventually came clean. The guy tells us that they're shooting up in the room, and he pops his vein, and it starts squirting everywhere, and that's where that came from. So that's why they ended up changing rooms. <laughs> And as we keep talking to him, we're realizing that we're not excluding him as a suspect, but this is not as prime a suspect as we were hoping for. Realizing they had nothing to charge him with, Calderon had no choice but to let Roz go. Five days had now passed since Melissa's body was found. After all the interviews and people we talked to and follow-ups we were doing, it wasn't going anywhere. Nothing was panning out. And at that point, we felt like maybe we weren't any closer than we were in the beginning. Over the next few days, Calderon and his investigators continued searching San Bernardo for leads. We were on San Bernardo, talking to the people on the streets, talking to people who live there, talking to pretty much anybody who would talk to us. It was during this new round of interviews that two separate witnesses mentioned a name Calderon had never heard before, Claudine Luera. We were given the name of Claudine Luera, as somebody we might want to talk to. They wouldn't say that she was a definite friend of Melissa, but that they were definite acquaintances, that they would sometimes uh, hang out, you know, use together. One of the witnesses said he'd seen Melissa and Claudine together on Friday night, two days before she was killed. They feel like that person might have something for us. Once again, Calderon ran the information past the Border Intel Center. He learned that Claudine Loera was 42 years old with past arrests for prostitution and drug possession. So Calderon and his unit began looking for Claudine, hoping to get the investigation back on track. Meanwhile, Karen Herrera was getting restless. 
In the aftermath of Melissa's death, the San Bernardo figure known as Chone had been bankrolling a portion of the avenue's sex worker community. Concerned that the killer might strike again, Chone had paid for their drugs and motel rooms to keep them off the street. By now, however, more than a week had passed. Karen hadn't seen Chone for days, and she was running out of money. She still feared getting into trucks, but as the early signs of dope sickness set in, she felt she had no choice. That night, she returned to the streets. I'm on the street trying to get some money because I didn't have no more crack, heroin, I didn't have anything. I was sick. I was dope sick. So I was like, I want to go get something because I feel sick. Moments later, Karen spotted Claudine Luera, the woman Calderon was looking for. She's like, oh my God, Karen, what are you doing here? Claudine was more than 20 years older than Karen, and she had been off and on the streets for about as long. To some of the younger women on San Bernardo, Claudine played a protective, almost motherly role. Karen even called her mom. When me and Claudine were together, I would say she was my mom. Oh, this is my mom. And I would call, hey mom, hey mija, what are you doing? You doing good? Yes, okay. Karen knew Claudine was close with Chone, and she had heard that the two of them had been partying for several days straight. She asked Claudine where Chone was. I was like, oh, hey, where's Chone? She's like, nah, I had a problem with him. He kicked me out. As Claudine described it, she had charged some drugs to Chone's account with a local drug dealer. When Chone found out, he got angry and kicked Claudine out of his motel room. And I was like, oh, okay, well, damn it. She's like, hey, ma, you don't have uh, $25 so I can get a hotel room, right? A room at any hotel in the, in the San Bernardo, it should be like $45 to $55. So Claudine had 25 and she just needed 25 And I was like, no, dude, I need to buy some stuff too. I only have like three, four bucks. And she's, oh, okay, well, too bad. I'm going to have to go hustle. As Karen and Claudine chatted on the side of the road, they noticed a white truck approaching. Karen froze. She remembered the rumor that the killer drove a white truck. But her fears lifted once she saw the driver. She realized he had given her a ride a month or so earlier. So I just started being like, nah, I don't think that white truck was the same because I've been on that white truck before. And, uh... Nothing happened to me, you know? In fact, the man in the white truck had been unusually kind. He had asked questions about Karen's life. Her children had recently been taken by Child Protective Services, she told him, and she desperately wanted them back. But she was at the mercy of her addiction to crack and heroin. To her surprise, the man had offered to help. He's like, well, I can help you get your kids back. I mean, I have a good job. He never told me what job he had, but he's like, I have a good job. So me and my head, oh, really? You can help me get my kids back? And I started crying because I really wanted to stop doing drugs, right? The next day, the man had returned and given her $60 to buy methadone. He then took her out to eat. We went to Dairy Queen. He bought me ice cream. He bought me a combo. And he dropped me back off. Now, weeks later, he was back. He pulled up beside her and rolled his window down. He said hi to me and everything. I was like, oh, hey, what's up, right? And he's like, come over here. Karen was tempted to go with him. She only had a few dollars, and she was badly in need of a fix. She figured the man might even give her enough money to cover a motel room. 
but Karen knew Claudine needed money too, so she offered the ride to her. She got in the truck, and well, they just took off. Early the next morning, the Webb County 911 operator received an emergency call from a truck driver who had pulled over on a quiet rural road north of Laredo. Bring your water and a towel. Webb County 911. Hey, I'm on Highway 255, and I've okay. got a female in the grass laying, and I don't know if she's unconscious, but there is oh. blood all over the grass. If you have questions or information for the Gone South team, please email us at gonesouthpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Gone South is written and narrated by me, Jed Lipinski. Executive produced by Jed Lipinski, Tom Lipinski, and Ken Lee. Our story editor is Tom Lipinski. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Produced by Anna Worrell. Edited, mixed, and mastered by Chris Basil. Original music by Marshall Chadbourne. Production support from Ian Mont, Bill Schultz, Bob Tabador, and Sean Cherry. Special thanks to J.D. Crowley, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, Kurt Courtney, and Hilary Schuff. Gone South is an Odyssey original. a new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, Justin Alexander, an adventurer, was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive deep into our investigation and uncover the strange events surrounding Justin's disappearance in status untraced. Check out this sneak preview. And this last experience he had with Rawat, I didn't feel good about it. In fact, I felt it was dangerous. It sounds strange, but I just, in my mother's heart, something was not okay. I felt that he was a nefarious character. Status Untraced is available now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.